everyone. Welcome to this new episode of Carolyn Talks. I'm your host, Carolyn Hayes, film critic and journalist. And this is the podcast slash YouTube channel where I speak to film creators about their work, the industry, and what inspires them. And today I am joined by writer, director, and producer Musa Mustafa to discuss his feature-length film, Marooned Awakening, which is um, an interesting film about this young man, Alex, who's having an internal existential crisis as he tries to figure out this this murder mystery or the events of an accident. And, and struggling with his relationship with his father, who wants him to stay, and he's like, no, I want to go. So we're going to have a really, I think, really in-depth conversation about this film and about the themes that Musab explores in this film. But first, as usual, I'd like to have my guests say a bit about themselves and what got them into the film industry. So Musab, thank you so much for joining me today. And can you tell our guests uh, what inspired you to become a director and a writer? Sure, 100%. Uh, firstly, Carolyn, thank you for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on the show. Um, I think, you know, in terms of uh, the things that have always drawn me to life, and I think in terms of what really progresses us in humanity is the art of storytelling. Mm. You know, and it began as early as, you know, the ancient era where we would uh, sit around in circles and we tell, you know, folk, folk stories and we would accompany um, our morals, our ethics and our views in life. And I think, you know, this kind of notion of um, understanding and being able to appreciate the greater good throughout the lens of cinema has always been something that, that, that's uh, really spoken to me from a very young age. You know, I watched, uh, you know, the pictures like uh, The Bicycle Thieves, uh, The 400 Blows, uh, La Haine, um, you know, Doctor Strange Love, and films that really, you know, pick apart humanity and present it to people in a very, you know, beautifully executed way on screen. And I think, you know, um, inherently, I've always felt like a bit of a storyteller. And I think film was kind of the medium where I wanted to tell stories. Mm, and there's the, the, the films that you listen like, I'm not familiar with some of them, but I do know, like, Dr. Strangelove. Sure. And, like, I think I can see kind of, like, inspirations from films that are very, um, like, not slow paced, but they're, they're films that take, that give the audience time to explore the surroundings. Because I noticed that you focus a lot on the environment that the characters yeah, yeah. are in, particularly the beach and the water. And like, it's very, um, in this film in particular, is very serene in a way. But I think that kind of makes sense because this film is in a way talking about um, the sea and the ocean and the environment. And even the title, Marooned, like a mar- when you're marooned, that means you're stranded on shore, right? So like you're exploring, like taking the time for discovery. So like, you, like as I said, you talked about Dr. Strangelove, but are there any other films that inspired your um the way you you not only structure your films but the way you film them yeah sure i think um for this particular picture i think the uh the films that i really took influence from were uh in terms of non-linear structure uh chris Miller's memento in terms of the use of nature and the kind of um tracking unconventional camera shots a lot of that from terence malick mm-hmm. films like night uh, nights of cup uh badlands um, and then I think also the kind of thematically, the relationship of father and son was really kind of uh, built up on, you know, like I alluded to earlier, Victoria De Sica's Bicycle Thieves, uh, but also, you know, uh, There Will Be Blood. This kind of notion of when you take away the maternal aspects of a family, you are almost left with a very dysfunctional, very toxic, masculine kind of uh, product. I really wanted to kind of depict that. And uh, uh, Alex's father in the film, he plays, you know, your kind of stereotypical, uh, forgotten in the past, in- English kind of blue collar worker who life in the modern day, you know, the um, occupation of fishing 
has become a bit defunct and he's starting to struggle with kind of clinging on to any sort of self-significance. And it's all these kind of things that we've tried to really mirror and put into the film. Hmm. Yeah, it's true. Like you're like you like the film does, I think, talk a lot about um people being stuck in the past. Like for Alex hmm. and his father, like for Alex, he's a journalist and he has these aspirations of moving to the big city. So like the film talks about being um, stranded in the past and metaphorically, and I think also physically, but metaphorically, it's talking about the relationship between his father, Alex and his father, because Alex is a, he's an aspiring journalist and he wants to move to the big city away from the island that they're living on. And his father wants Alex to stay. You know, he wants to hold Alex close. He, and it's not he's trained to control Alex, Alex's life, but I think he's trained to control his environment. He wants things to stay the same because like his like they lost his wife and like Alex has lost his mother. And he's trying to hold, he, like, he suffered such a traumatic loss and, like, they never talk about it. But it's obviously affected the way he's seeing life and he's, like, slipping. He feels like his life mm. and his family is slipping away from him. So before we begin to really talk about the individual characters, I talk about um, why particularly the loss of a mother um, in a story like this. And like I just said, it, it leaves, it, like, the absence of the mother and the absence of a female figure it leaves a bit of a toxic masculine environment and it and it's not clear from the beginning but like the film does like that does become progressively uh more uh, more obvious as the film goes on so i thought it was interesting like we, like their relationship seems fine at the beginning but then as alice talks more and more about leaving like the tension increases and then the angst and animosity between them increases so talk about first why the absence of a mother instead of making it a story about a mother and a son who who's um who the father figure has left? Sure, hundred percent. Um, I think uh na naturally when we wrote the play, uh, the, the film story, the, um, we drew a lot from uh Cam's experience growing up on Guernsey, which is a very small island on the coast of coast of England. Uh, not to say that his relationship with his family isn't, isn't good as relationship with his family or, you know, is fantastic and very supporting. But we really want to channel his perspective in regards to what it's like for a young man who grows up in a world that seems, you know, limitless in opportunity. But his environment, despite being so beautiful, kind of uh, inhibits him to move further. So it was a lot easier for us to write from the perspective of um, a, a son first. And then the reason we chose then to pick a father and a pastor mother is we could we really thought we could really build up a notion that you know in toxic masculinity, one of the most endemic issues are the fact that men don't speak well of dialogue, a, a you know a plethora of emotion in those moments of uh, lack of communication between the two. So it was just a narrative that we thought we could really flesh together. And again, kind of drawing on this, this idea of the traditional family, when you take away the tenderness of the mother, which the mother, you know, traditionally um, provides for a family, then you're left with a very harsh, um, you know, hostile environment. And we thought that would be a good setting to then set this drama in and develop from there. Not to say that we, we wanted to discourage any female characters, you know, I think um, Tilly Keep did a fantastic job as Alex's girlfriend. And I think she, she really was able to add a uh, strong female voice. But I think for the particular effect we were trying to achieve, I think it just seemed more appropriate for us to go down the route of the um, the, the, the uh, grieving father. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the thing, like, I mean, talking about the grieving father, like, like, Alex himself doesn't realize that his father is grieving. Like, he's so stuck in his own, um, mm, I, his, sure, yeah. own his own life and his own um, ideas that he doesn't really look at his father, which is interesting because, like, you know, kids are always saying they want their father, their parents to see them, you know, to understand them and to support them. But in turn, Alex isn't seeing his father, you know, he's not seeing the isolation that his father is feeling. He's not seeing the grief that his father's um, um, experience. And he's also not seeing the fear. He's not seeing that his father is afraid of his of him leaving. You know, he just looks at it as his father trying to control him. He just looks at it as his father. Also, I think he like he looks down on his father as well as other people in the community because he, he looks down on their life and on their they he thinks their life is too simple, you know, that is um mundane and it's too routine. And he he has this um idea that the living in the city, in the big city, is is about that's where true life is, you know, that's where true experiences is. And he doesn't realize how selfish he is and how being and how myopic he is, and also how um I think what's what's the word I'm looking for? Um biases you know like he like he has like but and the way i put it in my notes is like he's like one of he's like many people who don't live in the city especially if they live in like small communities like out in the in a country or on a small island i'm from a small island but like they believe that being in the big city is going to be exciting you know that everything is going to be so much better but like uh, they look at life as from like the the green the grass is always green on the other side you know and they don't um, they don't see the people same thing he doesn't see his father he's not seeing what his father is really experiencing he has his own misconceptions about people in the city you know he doesn't know that people in the city struggle you know they struggle with poverty they struggle with uh, financial struggles they they struggle in working for companies with employers who mistreat them, who don't support them, you know, they, they, he doesn't understand that living in the city is expensive. It's not all um, sunshine and rainbows. So I think in, in that way, Alex is also a very good example of people who, I think he, to me, and in in, he is a very good example of people who don't pay attention to everyone, to, 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 to the world, you know, they don't pay attention to the people around them. They're just very self-involved. Like everything is about me, 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 me but they don't take the time to understand the people around them, which is interesting because he wants to be a journalist, but in wanting to be a journalist, he doesn't take time to investigate the people around him and pay attention to what he's seeing. That's spot on, 100%. And uh, you're the first person to ever make the point about he doesn't investigate the people around him. That's a very interesting point. And um, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's truly a testament as well to, I think, just um, a parenthood. You know, how do you preach your children the mistakes you know you know you've made without being well actually having provided any evidence yourself of your kids not to do them and it's, i think it's very difficult and i think it kind of shows that kind of tether in parenthood where sometimes the only way for your child to learn is to go to go do, do it themselves but yeah no it's a very it's a very um sensitive and fragile topic and uh we have to be very careful in terms of the way we wrote it and the way we constructed dynamic and fortunately for us, you know, when we had uh, Murray MacArthur come along, you know, tremendous, tremendous actor. And just the way, you know, just his presence and his aura, uh, you know, really brought a whole new di- dimension to the role that we didn't really think about when we were fleshing it out. And I think he really, really uh, enabled us to really create a character of substance. And I was quite genuine. I think audiences really be, be, be uh, drawn 
to, to the relationship, especially through what Murray's been able to, to, to provide. Mm. And Murray's character, like, as he, he plays a father and he's uh, an angler, so he's like a fisherman. Mm. And I want you to talk a bit about exposing the ocean and fishing and sea and the in, and like coastal environments as the um basically the impetus for everything that goes on because like the stories that alex alex um investigator that he writes about a lot of it has to do with the sea with like things that are happening along the sea like he, like there's at the beginning of the film there's like a news clipping where he's like talking about um yeah um global not global warming but like um and like climate change and how it impacts yeah, yeah. the coastal regions but then also like his father like I, which I also think is interesting because like in, in doing all of these stories about environmental um, disasters and about the sea and everything, he doesn't actually figure, realize that the same things he's reporting on directly impacts his father. Like He never wants to ask his father, well, like, what do you think about how this situation is going to affect your livelihood as a fisherman, you know? Um, and like he, he, like all of these stories that he covers on is about the coast. It's about the island that he lives on. It's about the life that he lives on but he doesn't value it, you know? So talk a bit about using water and how Alex relates to the sea, but not really, and how like it's tied into his father. No, sure, 100%. So we definitely really emphasize this kind of like nautical uh, theme. And the island itself definitely plays, you know, the role of its own character. And um, I think uh, I think the reason being is first, you know, we really want to emphasize that um, Murray's character comes from a long lineage of um, kind of blue collar workers. And so your environment really dictates, you know, whether or not you eat, whether or not you survive. And um, at times, you know, nature can be very beautiful, but nature can also take lives. So that's something we really wanted to emphasize. And then also, you know, the kind of double entendre of is the setting, you know, he's set on a beautiful island and he's trying to, you know, cross the water to the big city. But, you know, to cross the water, to cross the water you know, there's, a, there's perils in that. And then, uh, then um, obviously, you know, when you, you, when you, I don't want to give such a weird, but then when you, when you watch the film and you really understand the kind of perspective of where the investigation takes from, that kind of opens up a new kind of interpretation for um, uh, that title, Marooned Awakening. So I think, you know, setting and the kind of nature is a massive, massive, massive part of, of the film. And, you know, the best way to create scenes of serenity is through, you know, very calm, tranquil, you know, uh, shots of the sea, but at the same time, you know, there's the you know, you've got the the, the cliff edges on the island. You know, you've got the um, you know, the, the scene with the the beach ants, and so it's this kind of juxtaposition of calamity and uh, catastrophe, but both within the same place. Mm, yeah, no, the beaches. I love the beach. I'm from an island. I'm in the Caribbean, so I love the ocean. And nice. the beaches, like my favorite, is the beach is my favorite place to be. But I also know, like as beautiful as you're saying, as beautiful as it is, like I don't underestimate it. Like I respect the ocean. Like I respect 100%. the danger that the ocean poses. And I mean, talking that like, you're saying, like the the whole the cliffs and everything. Like I also don't. I also don't like cliffs. <laughs> and it's not that I'm afraid of heights, but just like the thought of um walking along cliff edges and stuff like stresses me out because I've done that in in Bahamian Barbados there's like um areas along the um north coast the north coast of the island where you can go on the cliffs and you can like overlook the ocean the Atlantic Ocean and the only thing beyond that point is Africa like the next landmass is mm. Africa so like walking along cliff edges and that stuff it stresses me out so like when I do see people <laughs> 
Um, in films or TV shows, walking along, um, like short, like cliffs edges, it always stresses me because I'm just like, I don't know how the actors do it. But that's a, the, as you're saying, that's the beauty and the danger of it. And and it's um like for Alex, like and also for his dad too, like their life, their their this situation that they're in, as I had said earlier, like that as the tension increases, like you get the sense that something very bad is going to happen. And walking along cliff edges like that, you know, it's beautiful, but as you like that, it can the path can become narrower and narrower, and like it, the, the danger increases till it gets to the point where Alex himself is on a precipice. You know, it's like he's if he falls off. Like he might not make it, and um, and like even not only he might not make it personally, but his relationship with his father might not recover. So that's also the very interesting thing about it. Like, and this is a very uh, this uh, this is a thing with relationships with children and parents. Like every child, um, every every relationship between a parent and child always gets to this point where the child wants to break away and do their own thing. Like they they like parents raise children to grow to become adults and to live their own lives. But like it's the reality of actually letting the child go that many that that all parents struggle with. You know, they're like, I I raised you, I grew up to be ind- independent, to have your own life, to pursue a career. But then when it comes to when the actual reality starts to occur, parents are just like, oh wait, I I'm not mentally prepared for this. You know, I'm not mentally and emotionally prepared to actually let my child go yeah. and let my child like go off and like use an for a bird, spread their wings and fly. And for like children, like for us, like once we do start to do that, we we don't think about how it feels for our parents because we like very much like Alice, like we're, we're always just like, I want to go off and do this this thing for myself. I want to live my life and do all of these grand um, things. But we don't think um, about our parents. You know, we don't think about what it's like for our parents emotionally and mentally and physically let us go. And of course, as adults, as we get older, we see it. You know, we, we in hindsight, we can understand. But like Alex in the moment, he doesn't see. He's very... Like even you talking about um Emily, um she she's like she's the person that questions him and she does it in a very different way to his father. But she's like, what's wrong with the life we have here? You know, what's wrong with your father being a fisherman? What's wrong with this guy that like Alex mentions this guy who's a brick builder and he's like he's looking down on this guy's life and he's looking down on this guy's profession and like I mean it in my notes I was just like but there's nothing wrong with being a bricklayer which is what Emily says. And, and and he's talking about oh but he well, he could have aspired to be something great he could have gone to the city but I I was thinking but you know Alex without people like him without bricklayers you wouldn't have a city to go to you know the c- cities don't build themselves you know you need masons you need electricians <laughs> you need you need carpenters you know you need all of these people who do like um, what pe- a lot of people consider menial tasks or um, skilled labor but I'm less like. The world would not function without these people. And Alex can't see that. You know, he's looking down at Emily for breaking an office, but like her being in an office helps helps her society to function. You know, the town, the country, the island they live in wouldn't function without people like her and sure. yeah. I think I think the interesting thing was that is I think Alex's character is he's definitely a explorer. And I think conventionality just um doesn't appeal to him in any shape or form. And I think the main antithesis he has to his father and, and his girlfriend is they're very much symbolic of very consistent uh, and l- lack of change in their lifestyle. Whereas I think he's the kind of chap, you know, who wants to go and explore the world. And he's always constantly looking for a story. He's constantly looking for, you know, some sort of uh, sense of suspense and, you know, excitement and danger. And so when, when you have a character like that in a setting like that, 
And I think that was kind of symbolically how Cameron felt, you know, uh, growing up in uh, uh, Guernsey. You know, he's, he's, he's a very adventurous young man. And um, it's how do you break away from that kind of uh, environment and, and go spread your wings? And I think, you know, for young people, it, the thing that makes sense the most is, you know, break away to the, to the big city where anything's possible. So 100%, I think it also represents also the ignorance of youth and how I think you, you're very strongly opinionated, but until you actually, you know, experience the world firsthand, that you, you don't generally have a, you know, a, a, a true understanding or a validated opinion of what, you know, what is out there in the world. Yeah, um, and, in, and as you're mentioning, a lot of the inspiration for the story and for the character of Alice came from the actor who plays in Cameron Ashland. And mm. so talk a bit about um, working with Cameron and also with Murray MacArthur, who plays the father. Like, how did you get in touch with them? And like, like, did you have the story in your head before you met Cameron? Or like, did you meet and then you guys start to formulate this story? Because I think it's interesting that you drew so much inspiration from Al for Alex from Cameron's life. Yeah, sure. So um, me and Cameron actually went to university together. Mm. And so we both went to Darwin together. And before we made Marine Awakening, we made a um, three-part docu-series uh, called The Balkans, mm -hmm. showing Romania, Serbia, Macedonia, Bulgaria, and Kosovo. And it was, it was a bit of just like um, an intellectual project of ours where we looked at political, environmental, and social issues facing the regions today and kind of onset effects of Yugoslav war. And as we spent, you know, two weeks out there filming, uh, we really got to know each other. And what really kind of um, stuck out with his story was the fact that he was, you know, this, you know, young, you know, starry guy, you know, what's going on, actor, wants to see the world. And he's kind of held back by the fact that he's got a very uniform life on his very beautiful island. So that was definitely where the idea first came. And I think maybe a year, year, year and a half after that, after we, we did the Balkans, we uh, knocked our heads together and we started writing Maroon Awakening. And initially, we kind of developed the idea with that kind of narrative, that kind of character development in mind for the protagonist. But then we thought, how do we add another layer in terms of storytelling? And, you know, when the audience is going, watch it, the kind of uh, different tangents and how the tangents cut between time. This is kind of an idea that I fleshed out. And then we kind of fleshed that out in terms of relationships and the other characters. And then we kind of really did develop the kind of... Um, family dynamic and um you know best way to write a story in terms of hindering someone from moving on is mm -hmm. is some sort of you know relationship that holds them back and traditionally you know that is the case you know it's either family or um you know uh loved ones what have you so th that's kind of um how me and cameron came together and then with murray after we got back into the film we were then you know uh struck with the very important job of finding our leading man and uh, Murray had worked with our, Murray had auditioned for our producers before, so they knew who he was. Okay. And we were, we were very fortunate to uh, work with him, you know, this early on in my career. You know, he just come straight off working on uh, The Northman. And then he came, he came and worked with us. He's got years of experience, you know, Doctor Who, Outlander, Game of Thrones. You know, the man's really been around the block and he's, you know, a professional to, to a T. So, you know, the moment, you know, he really steps on set, you know, you can see the whole production team really were magnetized by his kind of charisma and the way you know he carried himself on set and uh you know the this the heart and soul he puts into his performance 
And I think that really helps evoke a really good performance out from Cameron. I think he really appreciates the best performances come when you're bouncing off another great actor. So that's kind of how, we, how you know, Murray came on. And uh, to this day, you know, we're still very good friends. We talk a lot. And uh, he's doing great things in his career. Yeah, um, so talk a bit now about how Murray himself related to his character of that and like what um, kind mm. of input he had into the character. It's quite interesting. So Murray grew up in a very small town in the southwest of England, in Devon. Mm. Um, and he was, um, you know, he's really, you know, big, strong, athletic guy, but he really wanted to be an actor. So when, And he comes from a family of mushroom farmers. So he was in a very similar predicament as Alex, mm. where one day he you know, told his parents, you know, this is, this is not for me. I want to go into acting. I want to move to the city. And I want to live this, you know, you know live this life of performance. And obviously to, to, to his family, it was a very foreign, very, you know, ambiguous kind of world which they knew very little about. So I think he, he kind of experienced this, the same kind of um, dilemma that Alex did. And I think for him, it was very easy then to kind of be empathetic towards Cameron's character and also then be able to act opposite Cameron's character in a very honest and a very genuine way. Hmm. Yeah, I think I, I think for especially for um, the, for these more independent films where you have um, performers who relate to the characters, it really does help with like not only for you as a director and writer, like developing the stories, but it helps them to, I think, get more in touch with the stories and make it more interesting. Because like for me, as I said, I'm from the, I'm from the Caribbean. So like, I relate a lot to, um, to the whole wanting to move away. I actually didn't want to move. It was my sister who wanted to move to Canada. And my mom was like, we're twins. So my mom was like, if one goes, the other one has to go. I was like, do I really have to? My mom was like, your sister is not going to live in Canada by herself so <laughs> so we moved there and it was like crying she was happy i was bawling my eyes out when we were like moving and i was like it was like a whole existential crisis so like when alex was talking about oh um like i want to go and live in the big city i want to do all this and i was thinking like do you have no idea what city life is like you don't and like, his dad is always talking about i made this life for you i i like, everything is perfect like i built this life for you because I, his dad provides for him and it's, and his dad thinks that he's ungrateful, but it's not that um, Alex is ungrateful. Well, in a way he is kind of ungrateful because it's the way he looks down on his father's life, you know, like he, he doesn't understand the importance of the job his dad does. But as I mentioned earlier, like everyone plays a part in how society runs. Like, like his dad is a fisherman and then like, that's a, that's an important job. He's providing um, a source of income for himself and his son but he's also providing food for people. So, um, but I, but so like, I see this, I see this both sides of the, um, of the stories and the characters. So now I want to talk about the, we've, we talked a bit about the marooned aspect, which is the island, the coastline and like being stranded and like Alex feeling like he's stranded there. But there's another aspect to the whole name of being stranded um, and also the awakening. And this is, I don't know if it's on your spot, but it's like, there is like, but like, Alex himself is trapped in his own mind. Like they're like like it like it's pretty kind of pretty obvious um early on to me anyway that he was um mentally stuck, you know, and like he's trapped in his mind. And like he I was figuring from almost from the beginning, I was like, was he in a coma and all of this? And I'm just thinking how he he he's stuck in the very place that he wanted to escape. 
you know, and that can, and that, that's like terrifying for him. He's like, I, he like, how do I get away from this? You know, like, but this time he can't, like his body can't move. So I want you not to explore the whole, first and first coming up with the name of Maroon Awakening. I think it's such an interesting um, title because it's a great use of both words to explain mm. the, the situation that Alex is in, but then exploring the, the whole being stuck in your own head and the mental and the inability to move your body and the inability to not be able to control your body the way you want to be to you want to. Sure, hundred percent. Um, I mean, yeah, let's go right into the twist then. Um, so inevitably, yeah, the way we shot the way we shot it is obviously we yeah, had the present day stuff that looks very naturalistic, and that was the investigation that Alex's character kind of uh, partakes. But then this is also then uh, cut with the black and white scenes and what the black and white scenes are is um you know, uh, 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 i read maybe six seven months before we started reading the film uh, about you know people who were in comatized states and what really interested me about that was your body's completely numb but mm. your mind still operates and your mind still operates but it cannot create any new thoughts because you know you, you, you don't partake in any actions Therefore, if you are, then you're almost trapped in a state of limbo where all you have is your previous thoughts to look back on mm. and kind of reflect. Now, I thought that would be a very interesting perspective if then say for a detective or from a detective uh, point of view. And wouldn't it be even more interesting if the reflection was presented in a way where you, the audience, followed the journey only to find out that the victim was just replaying the whole kind of cycle in their head. And that's where we kind of uh, meshed the kind of the kind of psychological twist from. You know, when you find the boat, when you see the boat accident in the end, and you realize that all these red herrings and uh, trails where you thought it could be the father, it could be this person, maybe Alex the murderer, it all leads back to him. And we very... I've, I, I, I like to say quite skillfully, we then executed the black and white scenes, which were then just the his subconscious comes alive. So you, you know you have the, the the naturalistic stuff, which is the replaying of the events that lead to the death. You have the black and white stuff, which is the present day, where it's Alex reflecting on his thoughts, reflecting on his you know his mother, on his past, you know, and this kind of and this existential kind of limbo. And then you have the stuff in the hospital, which happens, you know, drip feeds after the. Uh, accident and contribute to the kind of suspense of who is the victim whereas you find at the end that alex is a victim both in his own mind and in his own life uh as he's a victim of murder and that is kind of the the kind of yeah, the the kind of yeah, the, uh, the the complexity of uh, marine awakening yeah, because he's um, because it's interesting because as you said, like for people in um who are in a comatose comatose state, like they they don't have any present to to experience. You know, they can only go back through the events of their own past. And like for him, like, he's investigating his own um his own life, but he's also investigating this incident that happened to him, and he's going through the the motions and the steps and is like there's an interesting thing that his dad says where he um, brings this knife to his dad and his father's like, are you like you want to be a journalist so bad and you're so obsessed with these stories that like you're, you're you see one thing and you're creating a narrative around this thing, you know, mm. like he's speculating mm. and he's not and he's not like really 
taking, he's taking like 10 and 20 and 50 steps ahead. And he's not thinking about just the actual reality that he's in. And I thought that was interesting because his dad was like, you're just creating, you're creating a story to fit the narrative you want. Like you want this to be a big story. So you're creating this big story in your head. And I think that's in a way, um, in a, in a way where how for a lot of, uh, for a lot of us, like sometimes when we're in a situation and we, and the eighth scene that things aren't working out the way we want it to be, we can kind of look at it as, you know, like we would say, oh, like, I, I, and I sometimes say to myself too, like, oh, the universe has it out for me. Like, you know, like there is a conspiracy against my life and that like, you don't really mean that it's a natural conspiracy, but you just mean like, it feels like everything is holding you back. You know, it feels like what you are, you're wondering, why can't I succeed? Why can't I take this next step? And you're, and you're wondering, what did I do wrong? Why can't I just like be able to move forward? Why you watch other people succeed and you're wondering, why not me? And he's going through that, you know? And, um, and, and in a way, and, but in his case, he's looking at it as being a conspiracy with the police, you know, like the police is working with the murder and all of this stuff. But I, but, but as you get closer to the end, you realize what's happening. I think it kind of shows like how we ourselves can sabotage our own lives without even realizing it. We can be our worst, we can be our own worst enemy. You know, a lot of us, we create own submarine blocks for ourselves and we don't realize it. And other people are telling us, but we don't see it. So I thought it was interesting that that's and like the like, as I'm talking about it now, I kind of like really think about how like we, we we sometimes we don't see like the problems that we cause for ourselves, but also like even in using the whole the the metaphor of a person who's in a coma, they can only see their life in hindsight. Like that's for a lot of us, you know, we get to a point where we can't move forward, and the only thing we can do is look back and try to figure out what did we do wrong, where did everything start to go wrong. And that's kind of like what I think kind of like what film is about, not necessarily about Alex, but it's kind of like how we, as people, we always sometimes hit a brick wall, you know, and the, and we can't move forward. We can't go up, we can't go around. So the only thing we can do is turn around and look back where, look back to where we came from and figure out how did I get here. Mm, 100%. I think that is one of the, the most troubling things of humanity is we can reflect for the rest of our lives, but once an action is taking place, there's nothing we can do to change them. And I think it's also in the sense that our further desires can often be our greatest demise. And it's, you know, these kind of very innate things in humanity, I think work really well on screen because regardless who you are, you know, you can really connect to that. And I think ultimately when we, when we went to make this film, we wanted to, be, we wanted to be seen as many people as possible. And therefore we had to be very careful to ensure that we can create enough tropes of empathy and sympathy for enough people uh, that it could appeal to, you know, as wide an audience as possible. And I think, you know, we really try to try break, break down a lot of, you know, very, very primal kind of philosophical fears. I think all humans have uh, experienced at some point in life. Mm, for sure. I myself have existential crisis almost every day, you know. Sure. <laughs> I said this, I wonder, like, especially for my job, I'm like, Carolyn, what are you doing? Like, why? And like, I always wonder, like, why are other people getting more opportunities that, 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 that I'm not getting? You know, why is this editor not responding to my pitch? Why is this editor not responding sure, to my pitch? Sure, sure. But eventually, it's a tough game journalism. You know, right? Eventually, I guess yeah, I'm yeah. like, Elsa, and I just let it go. Uh, <laughs> but like, what what, were, what has been the response from other people uh, for the film? Like from other, from audiences, or even from the cast, or even the crew and other filmmakers that you've interacted with? What has been the, the response to the film? Yeah, sure. I think uh, it's been really positive, really warm. And I think um, as a filmmaker so early in my career, it's been very, very, very 
you know, it's been very inspiring that so many people have, t- have taken uh, enjoyment to the film. And obviously, so early in my career as well, it's, you know, you're very limited in terms of resource, in terms of what, what you can do. So it's very important that you still try to make something, you know, that's worth people's time, something that's worth substance, or something that's something that will evoke conversations between people. Hmm. And so I think we, we, we managed to, you know, uh, me and the team, we managed to you know, create a decent body of work, especially this early on in our careers. And I think people have been very receptive to the um, themes, to the kind of narrative twists. And, you know, whenever, whenever you hear different interpretations and people have conversations about interpretations, I like to think, you know, I've done my job. And I think it's also, you know, a testament to, you know, you know it's my first, first um, kind of fiction piece. And I mean, to be able to work with people like Murray, you know, uh, people like Tilly Keeper, Tim McKinnery, you know, it's, it's really, really, you know, not just comforting, but inspiring, you know, that you think, you know, that there is value in what you make and and people of esteem see value in it. And that really kind of uh, uh, wants to make, you know, work work, work harder, propel you to do more. I think it's been really good. And I'm, you know, I'm very happy that it's now um, out out in the US and Canada. You know, we're currently doing um, a limited theatrical release in the UK. And um, we're just, you know, trying to get as many people to see Awakening as possible and really kind of have conversations like we're having, which I think, you know, is the is the kind of underlying essence of what cinema is. You know, people talk about humanity and how it was presented to them on screen and how, how it made them feel. Mm, that's great. So um, as we begin to wrap up now, like what's next for you or what um, what other themes are you looking to explore as a filmmaker? Like you've done, you've, you're, you're doing a bit of existential theme and you're doing the whole concept of being stranded so like what's next yeah. for, what's the next theme you're, you're looking to explore in your next project no sure 100 um I, de- I definitely fancy myself as a multi-genre director and i think the uh, the next project i do definitely gonna be close to home uh I was born and raised in london so that obviously that 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 kind of setting itself has a whole different narrative and uh we're current, currently development for a few uh a few scripts we're hopefully looking to get off the ground by the end of the year uh, but yeah, we, it's kind of staying kind of style, you know, which really like a you know gritty kind of cutting edge drama that really you know uh, speaks from both you know a philosophical but also from a kind of dramatic point. And I think something just really, you know very true to humanity and something that's just a bit of a expose of humanity on the screen, but it's executed through a different genre or through a different kind of uh, narrative is what what I'm looking to, looking to achieve. That's great because I I think it's it, I think it would be interesting if like in your films this is just me like if you like pursue like different each film has kind of like a theme I cause I'm mm. a, I'm, I think the reason I say that is because I love anthology series I love how people are able to build that like, you have these separate stories but then they all just build up to be this one really big interconnected story so that's just a personal <laughs> a personal preference of mine but um again congratulations to you and I. Wish you and the cast and the team who worked on the film like a much success. And I think it's I think I love these kind of films because it makes me think about things that I never I either wasn't thinking about before or it makes me think about things in a different way. Or and I love film for this. I love film as because it's a medium that you, that not only sparks conversation, but it's a it's a medium that allows people to um visualize their thoughts and it helps people to then in turn vocalize their the thoughts they had and like to speak about them like you're talking about the the themes with the film for you like for me personally there's a lot of things that I've been grappling with my myself personally 
in my career and stuff. So like, I love when I'm able to relate to films and to stories like this. Uh, Catherine, it's been my pleasure. Thank you ever so much. And thank you for your kind words. And uh, thank you also just for such a rich uh, interview. You, you, you really uh, seen everything that we intended for audiences to see. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, so as we wrap up, so can you say like, is it where, so talk about where the film is going to be showing. Um, is it going to be platformed on any platforms? Um, like yeah, of course. Or anything? 100%. It's available to watch on Amazon Prime, Vudu, Apple TV, iTunes, um, all the major, all the major um, US and Canadian uh, digital platforms. Mm-hmm. And do you have an official website for the film where we can find the like, information about you and, and your projects and everything? No, sure. You can check our IMDb, uh, IMDb and our Wikipedia page. So again, thank you so much, Musaf. Thank you so much for talking to me today. <laughs> Cheers, thank you. Pleasure's all mine. So everyone, that was another episode of Carolyn Toss. And in this episode, I spoke with writer, director, and producer, Musab Mustafa, to talk about his feature-length film, Maroon's Awakening. Um, so as, I, as, we, as you listen to the, in converse, the conversation, it's about this young man, Alex, who wants to pursue this um, dream of becoming a journalist, but life, and I would say Alex himself gets in the way, and things don't go as planned, and it turns into this um, as investigation into Alice's life, his his hopes, his dreams, his ambitions, but also his relationship with his father and how they themselves aren't grappling with the loss of Alice's mother. And I think that Musab and the cast and crew, so like the father is played by Murray MacArthur and Alex is played by Cameron Ashplan. And then it, it also features Tilly Keeper as Emily, Alice's girlfriend. And um, as Mus- Musab said, that you can find it on various streaming platforms such as Amazon Prime, Voodoo, and um, others. <laughs> and I'll provide links for the IMDb and for the Wikipedia page in the description box for the podcast as well as in the YouTube channel. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CarrieCNH12. That's at C-R-R-I-E-C-N-H12. You can find links to all of my published writing on my authory page. So that's authory, A-U-T-H-O-R-Y dot com slash Carolyn Hines, C-R-O-L-Y-N-H-I-N-D-S. And um, other interviews that I've done for Carolyn Talks, as for, which is for a sub-podcast, also Here's What Happened, the podcast where me and my co-host, Nisha Campbell, do a nerdy, a nerdy blurred girl, what am I saying? A blurry girl <laughs> recap and review of our, of our chosen films, TV shows, books, mangas for the month. It's a monthly podcast. And you can find those on, you can find that on butwhythe.net and um, my other podcasts, Beyond the Romance Drama Podcast and Asian Drama Podcast, which is temporarily on hiatus, but we bring it back. You can also find on ACAST and other podcast streaming platforms. And again, thank you. And as usual, I want to thank Mustafa again for taking the time to speak with me today. This was a great conversation and I hope you guys enjoyed it. Look forward to more episodes of Carolyn Talks. And so here's what happened. And until the next episode, everyone, stay safe. Bye.